Hey guys, it's Robert Mays here. On today's Ringer NFL show, we're diving into the biggest trend of this NFL offseason, trades. We'll discuss some of the more recent deals, what's caused this flurry of moves, and which teams made the best decisions. As always, we're brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where there are a ton of great shows for you. I'm not saying this because he's my boss. The Bill Simmons Podcast has been killing it lately with guests. Last week, Bill talked to Al Pacino and Barry Levinson, like that really happened. And on Wednesday, he sat down with Jeff Goldblum. Both of those conversations are as good as you'd want them to be. So please check them out and make sure to subscribe to the Bill Simmons podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's also Masters Week. And what better way to get you through the week than with Shack House, my favorite podcast here at the Ringer. I'm wearing a Shack House hat. Jim Cunningham, our producer, is also wearing a Shack House hat. We didn't plan that. We just love the pod so much. Jeff Shackelford and House are at the Masters. Bill Simmons will be joining them on the pod. He's down there with his dad and his nephew and Joe House. And so it'll be a really fun Ringer crew down there this week, and, and, and I can't wait to see what they come up with. Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited. I was already watching on my computer today. It's going to be a fun week. Also, please go to TheRinger.com to check out some great stuff from this week. John Gonzalez spent some time with Victor Oladipo and the Pacers. Ben Lindbergh wrote about how baseball stats are still so heavily dependent on video. And I got to write about Quentin Nelson, which was predictably fun. So please go check all of that out and so much more at TheRinger.com. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, nice to be back with you, bud. I was on a pretty cool trip last week for a draft story that everyone would read soon, but I'm happy to be back with you. So you wrote about Quentin Nelson this week. You described the idea that you were in a coffee shop cackling with delight every time you saw him. Yes. Take me through that process. What were were people staring at you? Did you think you were going to be removed from the coffee shop at any point? It didn't happen that often, but it was more so that I'd get quiet for a little while and then he'd do something and I would have an audible outburst. Like there'd be a play. There was one play. I think I described it as like a shark eating a seal. Like that's when him on on defensive back when he's pulling against Georgia where he pulled around and he just launched the defensive back in midair. I mean, the guy was airborne for like two seconds. And you see that stuff. I played with a lot of, like, I played with an all-American high school offensive lineman. And you that was his tape. But yeah. this was against, like, tiny schools as a high school kid. This is, a perf- like, a very high-level college football player playing against a team that went to the national championship game and sending their dudes into orbit. It just doesn't happen very often. I was talking about this with Jeff Schwartz a little bit online today. I don't remember Orlando Pace. I was too young. And Joe Thomas would probably be the other guy in this conversation. Quentin Nelson's the best college guard I've ever seen. I mean, he's the best college offensive lineman I think I've ever watched since I've been really paying attention. That's saying something because yeah. there aren't a lot of good offensive linemen right now in college. So it's it's amazing to see. When you see a force of nature like that, it's, uh, it's quite a sight. And the thing is, you, we have guys that blow people up all the time. You know, Garrett Bowles had a, a nice tape last year in terms of really manhandling people. But Nelson's just such a complete player. He's so in control. He's really a perfect prospect. I mean, that word gets thrown around too much around this time of year when when people are getting excited about players. But I do think he's that good. So, yeah, go check it out if you want to. I mean, it's really just me nerding out for like 1,500 words and getting very excited. Where does he go in your opinion? Well, I think that that's just the conversation we were having last show when we were discussing the Jets trade and just kind of how it affects the rest of the top 10, right? So 
as these quarterbacks move up and let's say hypothetically that like Buffalo goes to six, which seems like it could happen. Sure. Then you have probably four quarterbacks go in the top six picks. And that means that he's right there for a team like Tampa Bay or Chicago. If mm. I mean, if there he's available. So I think that the Colts could take him at six if they stay. It doesn't seem like they would do that. It just feels like they are, they want more picks and that pick is still going to be useful if the Broncos don't take a quarterback. I kind of like that Colts pick though. Hey, they need a guy like that. They have for a long time. I just really want him to end up in Chicago. I mean, that's just the thing that I just have my eyes set on is that he just fits in perfectly. His college offensive lineman is the Bears offensive lineman. I mean, that is the one spot on that offense where they could seriously use an upgrade. I mean, the right the tackle Colts, situation isn't great, but the, the Colts should spend all of their resources on making sure that Andrew Luck lives to 35 and Quentin and Nelson, Nelson would, help that. would help that. Yes. Yeah. He's, God, I was looking at some of the measurements yesterday. He's like 35 inch arms. He could easily play tackle. I think that's dumb. Yeah. I think purposely making him worse is stupid, but he's just built like <laughs> just a wall. Like he's a massive human being. Even just talking about him, I get excited. But we want to hold off on that for just a little bit longer. So before we get into that stuff, we wanted to talk about what has been the defining trend of this offseason, and that is trades. You know, we've seen them happen at a clip that's never been a reality in the NFL before, and there have been different types of trades. So we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about some of the deals that have happened, why they're happening, some of the ones we like best, everything else. I mean, Kevin, I think that we both figured because of some of the things that started to emerge last year with good teams that maybe we'd see more trades. But I don't think I ever imagined it would happen at this rate. Sure. So I I sort of did. And, 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 And it starts with I remember doing a video right after the Brock Osweiler trade. And I said that this was sort of the unofficial kickoff of a wave of and we're going to get into all the factors in a second because there's a million of them. But one of just the 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 most simple is you have GMs who are ready to think outside the box. You have people like, sure. um, you know, people who are like Paul DePodesta who say what you will about him um, and what the Browns have done the last couple of years, but he's at least going to think about things in a different way. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to be young. And I think that aside from the salary cap stuff, aside from all, all this, again, the stuff we're going to get into in a second, I think the biggest single factor, uh, the reason that the trigger is being pulled so often is you just have this influx of GMs who aren't afraid. Because I think a lot of times, if you look at the the generation of GMs 10, 15 years ago, there were just a lot of guys who were happy to be in the job. They were just pro personnel guys or college scouts who got elevated. And they said, I'm just going to stay in this. I met them and I talked to them. and And I was surprised at how often they would say, in 2012 or 2013, you know, this is how we've always done it, or this is how, you know, and and there's still some of that in the NFL. But I think overall, you're seeing a sea change where it's younger, aggressive general managers who are going to say, you know what, I'm just going to do things differently. And that was helped along by the salary cap and all of those things. But yeah, I sort of saw this coming. So before we get into that, let's start with the most recent kind of blockbuster trade that happened. And that's the deal that the Rams made for Brandon Cooks. So a year after the Patriots trade a first-round pick to get Brandon Cooks. The Rams do something similar. Obviously, there's a fourth-rounder involved there. It's it's not as high. But the Patriots move up. In, they, they trade the 20th. The Patriots get the 23rd pick, I believe. And that's – so they, they trade the 30th pick last year. They get the 23rd this year for a guy that is now on his expiring contract, and it's a fifth-year option, so he's making a ton more. Right. I mean, it feels like the Pats did pretty well here. And 
It's interesting. So I think there are a lot of things to unpack. One, good Lord, the Rams are going after it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it is absurd the degree to which they're like, we are pushing every single chip in the middle of the table. I was sad that I couldn't find a gif of K- uh, Teddy KGB splashing the pot from rounders because mm. that's essentially what Les Snead is doing right now. He's just being a real asshole about it, too. And just like, nope, you know what? I'm going to make a mess of this. And it's fun. I mean, I can't remember a team doing this in this kind of way. Yeah. You know, the Eagles did a good job last year of kind of filling out the margins of their roster when they were a like kind of a fringe team. But this is not, that's not what the Rams are doing. There's no margins of the roster thing happening. They traded for two all pro corners. They signed in Dominican Sue and they traded a first round pick for, or pick for Brandon Cooks. You know, this isn't kind of tempered team building this is like we're taking the biggest swing imaginable so i think that this is the first i don't know would you call it head scratching move in the rams offseason because if so you, if, you like it less than i okay, do so if you look at the value that they were able to get and the flexibility that they were able to get from the other pieces they got this offseason. I have loved their offseason in a lot of respects. I love Marcus Peters. I, I And I love Aqib Tlaib. And I like Sue on a one-year deal where you can get out of it if it's a problem or you can, you know, extend them, whatever. When but, you're doing what they're doing, one-year deals are okay. They're exactly, trying to win the Super yes, Bowl. Yes, they're trying to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes. So my my question is this. You're trading a first-round pick, and, and we'll get into the value of that, but you're going to extend him maybe? or you're That's gonna, the thought. I don't, yeah. I don't think you cannot extend him after trading a first-round pick for him. Right. And so, I mean, I just generally, I don't know if if if, if trading a first-round pick for now a guy you're going to have on a big contract is all that smart of an idea. I think they were able to get incredible value and incredible flexibility with a lot of their defensive parts. I would question this a little bit. So this is more or less, I think, wanting to give the guy an extension after having him on a one-year deal. Obviously, there's some different elements to it because of injury, but this is like essentially what the Eagles did with Alshon last year, right? Yeah. So we got that $11 million contract. He's on it, and then they sign him. But the Eagles didn't have to give up a first-round pick. That's kind of what I'm thinking here. Is It's a lot to give up just to sign a guy to a really big contract. So I think they wanted Watkins, and they wanted to bring Watkins back, and they got priced out of Watkins. Right. And I was talk- I kind of was debating with some people the other day after the trade, I don't think in that offense, Brandon Cooks is appreciably better than Sammy Watkins. I think, and, and this is more about. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. You were okay. one of those people you were talking to was me. Yeah, I, that's how I feel about it, and it's a couple different things. The conversation started about Jared Goff's value, fantasy wise. So essentially, their statistical production for the offense, and would it be better with Brandon Cooks than it was with Sammy Watkins? And people were arguing like, "Well, Sammy Watkins is hurt all the time. Sammy Watkins played 15 games last year." You're not getting more than 15 games on tiny little Brandon Cooks. Yep. So I, I think that, I mean, he's played it before, but I'm just saying that's a respect. That's a reasonable thing to expect from Brandon Cooks playing 15 games. So I think that overall their offense isn't necessarily better than it was a year ago with Watkins. And I know that there's a health concern, but he was on the field for the entire season last year. And if you want to point to how many catches and yards Sammy Watkins had, I would love for you to go watch some tape and see how many times two guys followed Sammy Watkins and Cooper Cup was wide open. Because it happened all the time. Jim, did we just have an earthquake? I didn't feel it. Uh, I felt it. I think we did. 
That's the downside, G- of, living Jim is the downside just of living here. The downside of living here is 29 degrees yesterday. Focused on producing this podcast. <laughs> okay. Because no unnatural disasters are happening. Yeah. Okay. I'm swiping on Tinder. I'm not really. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Jim. Oh, oh no. Had a boy. So I agree with you. You know, it was interesting. So Brandon Cooks, the reason you get him is, is he's fast and he can stretch the field. You know, it's interesting with some of the next-gen stats I was looking at. Just, you know, I remember I was talking to the guy, uh, Joe Lombardi. And remember that guy, the offensive coordinator for the Lions? I think he's yeah, of course. Is he, is he the Saints quarterbacks coach now? Yeah, he's in. He's somewhere in that yeah. mix, yes. And I remember, I remember asking him, I said, when you get the trackable data, you can do what with it? And he said, it's going to let us sort of get actual data on things we've always suspected. And so a a good example is saying, okay, Brandon Cooks actually stretches the field. What does he do? Because we think we know. And I'm looking at the data here. First of all, his his targeted air yards, Cooks, is 15.3, which is in the top 10 in the NFL. But there are guys, I mean, Paul Richardson is 15. And Paul Richardson gets almost the exact exact amount of separation on his routes and almost the exact same actually more uh, cushion from his defensive backs. And I don't think, I mean, obviously Paul Richardson signed with the Redskins and is going to be on a marginally big contract. But I mean, I would say giving up a first round pick and paying Cooks what you're paying him is going to be a lot more than a Paul Richardson or a Marquise Goodwin um, who has similar numbers in, in a lot of ways. I think he gets one full yard more cushion than Brandon Cooks. Um, I understand that Cooks is, is has the production there. Um, and I also think, I want to point this out, by the way, I mean, just circumstantially, the Patriots and the Saints, two of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, two of the best coaches in the NFL, uh, have both moved on from him. And so I think that if you were, if you were uh, a, a must-start, I think you wouldn't be seeing him get shipped twice in two years. I think that's fair. I think he is his skill set is limited, but he is a really good downfield threat. I mean, there's no denying that. And I think that Sammy Watkins has some more athletic ability. And if you're the Rams, I understand it from a thought process point of view. You want that piece because your offense really did rely on everything working in concert last year. And having that field stretcher that can really open things up, that's the that was the chess piece you were missing now when Watkins was gone. You needed that again in order for your offense to function in the same way it did a year ago. But I don't know if a first round pick and an $8 million contract and then signing the guy to a $14 million, $14 million a year deal after this is that's the price that you should be paying for that element. You're I, right. I need to bring something up here. Targeted air yards. Okay. Yes. For receivers. Mm-hmm. There's a player who is a full three yards, excuse me, two and a half yards better downfield or, or catches the ball downfield in, in the air two and a half yards more than any other player in the NFL. Do you know who it is? Over Just last season? Just last season. You're, you're, you're not going to get this. I probably am not. It's J.J. Nelson. That actually makes sense. It does. It's surpri- I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that, but it definitely makes Will, sense. Will Fuller is second, and the average cushion for Nelson is 6.3. The average separation. Al- Albert Wilson. J.J. Led- Nelson's very fast. Al- Albert Wilson led the NFL in separation. Are you excited about that? I'm excited that he's playing on a Dolphins team that has made a lot of curious decisions in the last couple of oh, months. Wow. Sixth in the NFL in separation, Ted Ginn. What a sad story. You get the separation, you just don't get the catches. Ted Ginn was really good last year. Yeah. He had a nice season. Uh, Danny was right. Danny was right. He was the Cooks replacement down there. 
Hey, there you go. It's always cycling in and out, man. And Sammy Watkins was the Albert Wilson replacement. Now Brandon Cooks is the Sammy Watkins replacement. It's just you just got to follow it. There was, in fact, an earthquake, by the way. Oh, good. Okay, that's great. Coming up, we're going to chat about some of the Rams' other monster trades and discuss why their wheeling and dealing ways represent a new reality in the NFL. But first, let's take a quick break. We have exciting news for all you ringer heads out there. The ringer has new merch with a shiny new storefront that you can check out right now. We have hats, hoodies, and even an exclusive Shea Serrano disrespectful dunk t-shirt. Your friends will be low-key jealous when they see you strutting down the street with an official Ringer zip-up hoodie. That's right, man. Previously available only to Ringer staffers, we are letting you, our loyal listeners, get first dibs on the goods. Go to theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your merch now. These are limited-run items. They will not last long, and once they're gone, they are gone. I, I gotta get some of this stuff. Do I have to buy it? I guess I do. You definitely do. Yeah, let's do it. Again, check out theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your official Ringer merchandise today. You can also find the link to the Ringer web store in the podcast description. All right, Kevin, the Rams made some a ton of high-profile moves yep. this spring. I mean, Marcus Peters, a keep to leave. We talked about him. And moves to ship guys out of town. I mean, Al Gogletree goes to the Giants. Robert Quinn goes to Miami. So... Rather than break down whether or not those deals were good or bad, we'll probably talk about some of them. Let's talk about why they could happen, the factors behind all of them, and just how we've never really seen an offseason quite like this. You mentioned in the open about how there are some GMs willing to take some risks, think outside the box a little bit. Outside of that, what would you say is the number one thing that jumps to mind for you of what the environmental factors are that can create this? There's a 1A and a 1B because okay. you can't have – the aggressive young GMs taking those chances unless you have the atmosphere for it. Well, what's the atmosphere for it? Well, since 2013, the cap has risen at least $10 million every year. I think it's gone yeah. up about $50 million in that time period. That's crazy. Well, okay, there's a couple of things happening. Number one, rookies got cheaper. So you have a ton of guys making $1.4, $1.5 million, even though they're at elite production, okay? Superstar value has not risen because players have not reset the market. Antonio Brown has not said, I'm going to make $30 million a year because I deserve it. A quarterback is not done that. I mean, even even Kirk Cousins getting the guaranteed deal, that sort of resets that paradigm, but it doesn't really reset how much of the cap goes to a superstar or or a star or a star. Yeah, quarterbacks quarterback. aren't making a higher percentage no, than they were three not. years ago. And so you can basically do anything under the cap. The cap is not real. And so that that's the biggest thing now is that you can say we're going to take on these salaries or we're going to get rid of these salaries and take the dead money. You can kind of do anything. And so it's become a little bit more like the NBA in that sense because you can just say, okay, we're going to do this for football reasons and we can take on these contracts or whatever it is. And so the cap explains everything. I wrote this in December. The rising cap explains every single thing about the NFL. Whether that's, even if that's, you know, okay, you say, oh, well, you know, the Patriots. How does the rising cap explain the Patriots? Well, Tom Brady makes as much as Ryan Tannehill this year. Year and so they can jam their entire roster with with mid-level second contract veterans. That's how they win every year. I mean, there's a million examples of that. Everything in the modern NFL can be explained with how much money there is to spend. So let's talk about a couple of the deals that fit that description, okay? Deals for guys that are not on rookie contracts and are decently expensive. I think the ones that fit that, JPP, yep. Robert Quinn, Yep. And uh, I think the Jared Valdeer contract fits that one with the one that, I mean, that trade went so under the radar. He's in at Denver now. I mean, that contract fits that paradigm. 
And the Cooks contract does not. You know, he's making eight million, but that's a different sort of trade that we're going to talk about. So those are the sorts of deals to me that are a little bit newer with a cap. Because a guy like Robert Quinn, if they didn't want him, they may have cut him. You know, they he's a million something on his dead money on his deal, whatever. There were that's how, what would happen. Cap casualty would, would take place because teams are not going to give up a draft pick for a guy to pay him on a on a second contract that his original team does not want. So that's teams have been able to kind of just absorb contracts they wouldn't have otherwise. The trade, the type of trade that interests me more, is the opposite of that. It's teams trading for guys on rookie deals because they're still cheap, yep. even though you have to give up draft capital to get them. This started last year in earnest when the Patriots traded for Cooks and then the Eagles made those deals. You know, they traded for Timmy Jernigan. They traded for Ronald Darby. Those are contracts that are you're paying this certainty tax in a way. You're giving up draft capital in order to get a player that you think is just a sure thing. And I think two things inform that. One, as teams get more analytically focused, even though they say they aren't, I feel like it's become more of some something teams will be able, they admit more that they don't know who, what they're doing in the draft. The draft is a crapshoot. And I think teams are hoarding picks and draft capital in different ways than they used to. They're not going after it and just saying, like, I can't trade a first round pick for someone. I can't trade a yep. second round pick for someone. And they're doing it for players on, for two years of them because in my, their minds, it's safer to have two years of that guy that they know is an NFL player. And I think that because teams like Philly and New England that were being, that had so much success doing that, that creates trends when teams have done well with it more teams are going to do it so kevin demos said this is sloan i wasn't at sloan but i saw some of his comments on youtube um afterwards <laughs> just random youtubing just youtube yeah rams president kevin demoff is the real youtube star um so I, he said something i found interesting which is essentially that the rookies it takes them about three years now to get where they need to be Instead, because of the way teams practice, um, you know, what, 14 padded practices during the regular season, you're just not getting those reps like you used to. And I think that when you have that viewpoint, then you go, okay, well, we're just going to be able to get the known commodities, get them for two years while they're still cost controlled, worry about the extensions later. But they'd rather do that than spend the three years. If they really believe that they can win the Super Bowl this year, and I do believe that, then a first-round pick is not that valuable if it really does take three years for them to, to, to get where they need to be. So I think it's a timing issue. I think the CBA explains a lot. I mean, I just think that if the Rams have that viewpoint, that explains a lot about them acquiring veterans. How about counterpoint, though? Look at what the Saints did last year. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, uh, no. I, I agree with you. I'm just letting you know their viewpoint, their worldview. And trying to bank on a draft cast like the Saints is a silly thing. I mean, we're not going to see those come along very often. That may be a once-in-a-generation type class. But I do think that those classes are more readily available because more rookies are getting chances. You know, we talked a lot about how the NFL's middle class has kind of shrunk a little bit. Yeah. And that's why there's so many guys playing on rookie contracts early because teams aren't paying guys $5 million a year to play those positions. So I think that those classes are going to be out there a little bit more often, maybe not to that extent, but because you're going to have a rookie class that says, all right, all of our first and second round picks are playing. Right. And you can, and there can just be this kind of lightning strike similar to the one that New Orleans had last year. I, I, I am in agreement with you. I mean, I, listen, 
Let me tell you the secret of the NFL, Robert. This is a unifying secret, and and don't tell anybody. Just keep it between us. Sounds good. The key is to have good players. <laughs> no one listens to this, right? This is just me and you talking. This is it. Jim this just is wants it. to listen in. The yeah. key is to get good players. So if you can get the rookies, if you can get Marshawn Lattimore, do it. If you can get Alvin Kamara, do it. And if you think that it's veterans, do it. I mean, it's just that there's a couple of ways to to. I mean, there's many ways to skin a cat, right? And I just think that I, we can reverse engineer all we like and say teams won because they did this, this, and this, or teams had viewpoints of this, this, and this. But I think at the end of the day, I, you know, a, a good cheap rookie contract is a great thing to have. And I have the also, so is an $8 million guy who plays at elite, elite level because there's just a lot of ways to win in the NFL. And by the way, I mean, I, I obviously what the Rams are doing is acquiring these guys while they have golf on that cheap contract. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that we may be going back the other way a little bit because we've talked. I think that teams have had success with this kind of plan of trading for these guys on rookie contracts and giving up draft capital to do it. Like a, a good example for this. The Patriots just did exactly what they did with Cooks with Danny Shelton. Yep. He's making two million this year and 11.7 next year, which is a lot for a defensive tackle. So that's what the teams did last year. I think trading a third-round pick for Danny Shelton is one thing. I think trading a first-round pick for Brandon Cooks when he's on on that fifth-year option is a different thing. So I feel like teams may go a little bit too far in this, okay, draft capital isn't as important anymore. I'd rather have the guy that can help me now. So I think that's always what happens, right? You have these emerging trends. Teams are a little cautious about them at first, and then it seems like, fuck it, I'm doing it because it's already worked. So finding the middle ground is sometimes difficult. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, again, I mean, I, I don't. I, there's no way to sit here and say that is the right path, or the Saints is the right path, or the Packers who didn't go into free agency for, you know, except twice, basically in a, in a six year period, um, is the way to go. I mean, it's just, I, I, I know that this is this is not a hot take situation, but. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I yeah, that's very I, true. That's, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that specific team building um, thing. I mean, I know that a team can be built. Here's what I know: a team can be built through through, through trades and free agency, and that wasn't true five six years ago before the cap started rising. Yeah, I agree. I just did not envision this version of the trades. I thought that what happened with Philly and New England last year would continue to happen, and it has to some degree. You know, the Shelton trade is like that. The Peters trade is like that. But the deals for, like, Tlaib and everything else, that is just a type of trading that I didn't think NFL teams were daring enough to make. And it seems like all the money floating around has made them exactly that. You know, I I, I don't know if I've I've shared this, um, but I heard a theory a while ago, and I, I kind of like it, and I've kind of stolen it as my own, that <laughs> because coaches and GMs get fired so quickly now, and that wasn't true five, six, seven years ago, the coaching carousel has accelerated. Because that's happened, and this was from someone in the league who told me this, because that's happened, GMs are actually less scared. And coaches are less scared because they're like, listen, we're going to get fired in three years anyway. Who cares? That's a great point. And you don't want to draft guys, you know, and if that are, you're going to take four years, five years right. to develop when you're going to be gone anyway. Right. I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, the teams would be more the, willing to take chances now. Right. Exactly. And there's so few teams who want to play the long game. And I think the long game can work. But we've had that debate before. I mean, I do think that the long game takes three years in the NFL. It's the not long game works when you have years. the Mike McCarthy Supreme Court justice contract. And you have Aaron Rodgers. 
<laughs> That's also an important factor. Thank you. Aaron Rodgers is pretty important to the long game because <laughs> he's going to make anybody look good. Yeah, he's um, all right. So I just think that there, there's some of that where it's like a lot of guys are just saying, screw it, we're just going to go all in. We're going to go all in. Because, I mean, I, someone was saying this the other day, but a couple weeks ago I was talking to someone the owner's meeting, someone in the league, and they were saying, you know, man, Sean McVay's got it set up for life, huh? And it's like, there's a lot of guys we thought had it set up for life. <laughs> yeah, no, and then like not. three years later, they're just fired. And obviously Sean McVay's a great coach. He's got a great career in LA. But I mean, this idea that, that, that now he's going to have some sort of, like you said, Supreme Court justice uh, appointment where he's just going to be able to ride on the, the, the laurels of his rookie year. I mean, he could be fired in three years. Who knows? Do you remember the, Chip Kelly's first yes. game in the NFL? <laughs> it, first, hey, it wasn't first season. It was his it, first drive. Yes. I mean, like it hit the first game they played, that Monday night game, I'll never remember. I'll never forget Chris Ryan's reaction, first of all. <laughs> he, he thought that like... The second coming had happened. Like this was a religious experience for both football fans and for Eagles fans. And Chip Kelly was gone in two years. Obviously, there are factors behind that. But these are the sort of factors that fuck things up. There are so many coaches who have been ruined because they get power hungry later. Yeah. And I don't think Sean McVay is necessarily like this. I think that he's honestly been defined in his first 18 months by an ability to defer his ego and let other people take over when it's appropriate. But say in two years, if they are like, all right, do you want to run the roster as well? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. That's how things fall apart. You never know what's going to happen. And, and I think saying stuff like that is just silly to me. I uh, Yeah, I mean, totally. And so what I'm saying is you have to be aggressive because the league moves fast. I mean, think about Josh McDaniels. Yes. McDaniels had one bad year and kind of acted like a jerk and then got fired from a job that everyone was raving about his his work as rookie year. And now I don't think he'll ever have another one unless it's in New England. I think it's going to be in New England. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it will, but it's still it's just bizarre. Yep. All right. Before we get out of here, let's uh, let's hand out some uh, some some awards, yeah. some superlatives, uh, some of the best and worst from what has happened this spring. So, Kevin, why don't you go first? Let's start with your best trade of the last couple months. So, I already talked about it. The idea that for mid-round picks, essentially, the Rams are able to acquire two of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. And with Tlaib specifically, that was a financial decision on the Broncos' part. 100%. It was and Again, not, that's why those are the sort of trades that happen that don't happen before, that didn't happen before, that do happen now. Right. The financial decision trades. Right. And so... That's a really important thing. Talib is, is, is had not lost a step. I mean, or maybe he has, but it wasn't a significant step. He's a very step. good player. Still. He's a very good player. He's going to uh, a defensive coordinator. He's he's been under before. Marcus Peters uh, again is one of my favorite guys in the NFL, and and obviously you, know, you pair him with Sue. One of the things I want to address very quickly, and and, and there have been some some reports both ways on this and I I sort of want to clear it up from my perspective this idea that the Rams could have a volatile volatile locker room I think is is way overblown um I don't think though I don't I don't think that they're 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 I don't think those guys have personalities that are going to destroy the locker room I I think that they have big personalities I don't think Sue has never been a problem in the locker room um, if, any, if, talk to if, if anything, yeah, it's exactly what I was going to say. If anything, he's quiet and reserved in the locker room and doesn't really talk to anybody. Although the one time I went over to his house, Ziggy Ansa was on his couch the whole time. Maybe they just don't talk. They just, he's just there. 
I don't remember. I, I want to. Someone was playing FIFA. I assume it was like Yatsa. Well, they both love soccer. Yeah, no, yeah. I know, but it may have been just someone else in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, here, no, no. I, what I'm I, saying I, is that it, obviously it has a, it has the potential to go south just because when you have a lot of stars on one team, there can be some egos. But I don't think it's their personality specifically that would cause a downfall. That's not. I agree with you. I think the concern is more about what this sort of team building tells the rest of the guys in your locker room. You know, the Eagles were the exact opposite of this, right? They went out of their way so far to re-sign their in-house guys after Chip had been wheeling and dealing for a couple of years. And I think that really settled the locker room. If you play well, you're going to be here. People loved Alec Ogletree on that team. And even if you know that's overblown, it's more about saying we're going to ship out the guys, even if they're good people in this locker room, to get better. I think that's a worthwhile effort. I mean, I think that's a worthwhile thing to do. But I still think it does have ramifications. And that's where I'd be a little bit worried about it. Okay. The other trade I liked a lot, just from a value standpoint, Jason McCourty for a sixth round pick. He's my number one. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the best value that any team got trade wise. There were some others that I really liked, but I think McCourty is a starting corner and to get him for a sixth round pick and just be able to plug him in when he's making like two million or something like that. And the fact that Malcolm Butler just got 10 and you got a guy who's not that much worse than Malcolm Butler, I think that's a trade you're going to make every single time. The other one that is still just a head scratcher for me, and the fact that we're letting the Eagles do this is so silly. Torrey Smith was making five and a half million dollars this year from the Eagles. Guess what? He was not going to make that. They were going to cut him if they could not find a trade partner. And rather than get like a sixth round pick for him, they got a 23-year-old cornerback. I know Daryl Worley has had his growing pains in the NFL and he has some issues. He still is an NFL corner that is very early in his career. And they got him for a guy they were going to cut anyway. I mean, those are the sorts of deals that the Eagles have made the last couple of years that you just wonder how they're able to do it. It's a lot of value out there, man. Yeah, I know. If you're looking for it constantly, you're going to find it. All right. What's your worst one? Uh, I do not. And I don't want anyone to think that the actual player evaluation is off here because I really like Alex Smith. I just think that signing Alex Smith to a $94 million contract. The contract is what I, is what bothered me. Well, it's just a total investment. I mean, that's where you have to, that's what you have to look at. I think that trading for Alex Smith is an inspired move in a vacuum. I think Alex Smith is really good. I think that the development of his deep ball last year was notable. And I, I think that he will be good. However, I mean, just signing a guy to a mega contract like that, when you're giving essentially the only way to defend letting Kirk Cousins go, especially when you could have gotten him for much cheaper a few years ago, the only justification is saying we think the quarterback bubble is too big and it should burst and we're just going to go with rookie contracts from now on because that's a legitimate way to build a team is just have your quarterback making four or five million dollars you know instead of 24 or 25 million dollars and build a team around him that's a very good way to build a team but to get rid of Kirk Cousins and then replace him for a guy what is the total isn't it in guarantees didn't Smith get like seven million dollars less than Cousins 71 Let's look, seven, I was 70, to look at his old contract okay, 71 million dollars guaranteed so that's he got 13 million less that's a ton of money that's so like much money got. that's so much money for Alex Smith 
Here's the thing. We talk, we say this all the time on this podcast. Nobody's making you do it. <laughs> Alex Smith dead one cap. year less than his deal. Do you know what his dead cap in 2019 is? Obviously, you're not going to cut him in, in 2018, but his dead cap is $55 million. His dead cap next year I'm looking is at it. $42 million. $42 million. Dollars. Oh, that's fun. Again, nobody made you do it. He what had if one more year left on his deal. He could have played it out. What if he's just awful this year? I feel like, you know, we talk all the time about that support system in Kansas City is really good for quarterbacks. He probably wouldn't look as good elsewhere. I think Jake Gruden's a really good coach. He's 33 years old. <laughs> That's more of my concern than if he falls off a cliff, you know, in terms of whether or not they were hiding his deficiencies. I'm more worried about signing a 33-year-old quarterback to a three-year contract. It's not like signing Aaron Rodgers to a three-year contract. <laughs> Alex Smith is fine. God. I mean, I so listen. Putting Alex Smith on your offense is a good idea. Giving up that much is a bad idea. Kendall Fuller is a good player. Yeah. I, I like him. Yeah. All right. Who's All right. your worst trade? Mine, again, is circumstantial, similar to yours, even though I don't think he's the, quite the player he used to be. I think the Dolphins trading for Robert Quinn is a very, very curious thing to me. I, I just. Oh, I agree. The Dolphins don't have a lot of money. You know, obviously they have more after not signing Jarvis Landry and not having him on the franchise tag, whatever. The Dolphins are flush with cap space. And that's a position on their roster where they actually have some guys. They drafted Charles Harris in the first round last year, and they gave Andre Branch a really sizable contract. They also have, still have Cameron Wake. I know that he may be gone, you know, and he is nearing the end just in terms of age and whatever else. But you only have two years of Robert Quinn. It's not like he has this long-term contract, and it's a top-of-the-market contract. He's making like $11 million, and he's not an $11 million a year player anymore. So in terms of positional fit, financial flexibility, and everything else, I just don't like it. I know they didn't give up much. Maybe it's a fourth-rounder, and they're going to swap late rounds. But it still just didn't make sense to me in terms of overall resource allocation. Yeah, I, I agree. And the Dolphins offseason... I'm it's not, just weird. I, it's I, so it's bizarre. Weird. I can't I think even... Josh Sitton is a really good contract. I think that's the type of stuff you yeah. should do. I don't like a lot of the other stuff. Wh why? Why with the Albert Wilson? Like, it just... I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess you lose... Are Landry, you okay? I, the Dolphins are just so frustrating, man. I mean, like, we want the Patriots to stop winning division every single year, and then the teams just give it to them. I, I that's a huge part of the Patriots' success the last couple of years, and by last couple of years, I mean fifteen years. Yeah, there's never been a serious. The Bills have had no idea what they're doing. The Dolphins have made mistake after mistake, and the Jets have been the Jets. I mean, it's not dissimilar to like the Atlanta Braves during their during their streak of what thirteen straight division titles. Something like that. Yeah, the Mets weren't very good. The Mets were not good. The Marlins would would wake up and win the World Series every couple of years, though. All right, let's get end here on a little more of a positive note. Yeah, what's a trade you want to see? I mean, we I, could do a hundred of these; it'd be an hour long podcast. I, I just let's limit it to one or two. I just need to tell you, in my Masters DFS league, I just checked it at the beginning of the podcast. I I've lost seventy five percent of my winnings since the podcast began. I don't even is, want to know what happened. Hey, buddy, I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm just saying maybe you should stop playing golf DFS. I this is not it continues to go. It's going down as, yeah, I as you're stare watching at it. it. Uh, that's great. As I stare at it, you probably you got to play the lesser known events to win big. It's fine. Okay, <sighs> Odell Beckham. 
I want to see him on another sure. team. Let's just It'd get him out. Fun. Just It'd get him out. I know it's not going to happen in Los Angeles. Can we get him on the Niners? I don't think they give up that much. No. But I, I mean, if they, they're they, really they're... motivated, you don't know this. But if they're leaking this stuff because they just need to get him the hell out of town and Dave Gettleman is somehow offended by Odell Beckham's existence, a one and a third? I mean, that, that was the Adam Schefter reported price. Do the Niners do a one and a third, knowing they have some draft capital? You have to re-sign him, essentially. I mean, in order to do that, you like are going to give him give him an extension immediately. Be my assumption. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I'll say I'd want to do that. I I kind of want to say I would do it, but that's a lot to give up, man. I don't know. He's that good. I guess he is that good. I would do it. God, it'd be so fun. (laughs) That offense would be incredible to watch. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Pierre Garcon, Odo Beckham, Marquise Goodwin, uh, Jarek McKinnon. Kyle Kyle check Greg Kittle. There's just so much athleticism among that group and talent. I mean, it's a really cool collection of pieces. It's it's not even worth considering. I'm just going to be disappointed Why? when it doesn't happen. He's going to end up like the fucking Dolphins. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to end up. He's going to end up catching oh. 74 balls from Ryan Tannehill. Oh, that's so depressing, but it's so true. Oh, oh my god. All right, oh, mine boy. is a. Uh, so the one I want to see, this is a smaller one, obviously, but I think that it would make sense for a team to call and see what the Browns wanted for Duke Johnson. You know, he's a guy that oh, yeah. I think is a really useful player. And so much of his usage last year was in the slot. And it just feels like Landry is going to chew into that so much. He's on the final year of his contract, new regime that did not draft him. You know, there have been some rumblings that they want to resign him, but I also think that might be a way to kind of pump up the price if a team were to make a call about it. So he's a guy that I just feel like it would be worth calling. And the other one, and we just mentioned his name. I think if you're a contender, it would be worth seeing what they want for him. Cam Wake. That's not bad. I think if you're a team that needs pass rush help, he is worth dealing for. Guy is still really good. I know he's old and he's had some injury issues, but I absolutely think that you should pick up a phone and make a call about him because, again, they have a glut at that position. So it just feels like it's worth it, man. I mean, the guy is making $8.65 million this year. He is not an $8.65 million pass rusher. That's a matter of age and contract. But if you just want him for a year, if you're a team that's close, you know, you try to trade for him, the Rams. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> they need another edge rusher. Uh, you know, we'll give you, what we'll is give their, you, what is they're their... out of draft picks, but they should try to trade for him. <laughs> what is their cap space right now? I actually don't know the answer to that. I can look. They have eight million. That's there you go. Twenty fifth in the league. The Eagles have thirty one thousand dollars. No, the Rams are three million dollars over the cap. Are, I'm looking. Wh- at, I'm looking at overthecap.com. They're three million dollars over. Well, the uh, so Quinn trade hasn't gone through yet. I don't think. Okay, it, all of their players are. They have two million, and then top fifty one cap space, which is how it's calculated in the offseason. Spot track says they have eight, but honestly, it's none of this is real. They're going to restructure. Exactly. I mean, they, they have very little cap space is what we're trying to get at here. They're not going to get Cameron Wake. Probably not, Titans, but I would like to see him Titans on a different still team. have 42 million. I, I think a team should make a deal for him. I mean, if you think you're close, I absolutely think it's worth it. The Browns still have Alec 70. Alec Ogletree's dead cap money is $6.4 million. The Browns still have $71 million. 
Let's make some moves. That's why they're not trading Duke Johnson. They can give him fifteen million, and not even blink an eye. Do you know who the uh, oldest team in the league is? The Atlanta Falcons. I, I don't. The Atlanta Falcons. That's surprising, considering how many young guys they played on defense the last couple of years. But they they are pretty old. I mean, for the, if you look at that offensive line, a lot of older guys. I mean, I guess well, the tackles aren't that old. I don't know. I mean, it's like t- almost twenty seven years. It's not like they're fifty. Yeah, no team gets that old in the NFL anymore. Oh, all right, bud. Is that all you got? That's it. All right, that's all we have for today. As always, thank you for joining us. We will be back next week. Probably getting into some draft stuff. I think it's about that time. You think it's about that time? It is about that time. All right. Until then, thank you so much for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, guys.